go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 3. You may already be open from the call to worship, but we will begin in Exodus chapter 3, and then we will move to the New Testament. Uh, but before I get started, let me go ahead and pray uh, one more time. Our gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be here in the presence of, of those whom you have redeemed by the blood of your Son, Jesus. God, we're thankful that we have an opportunity to meet again on a Sunday evening, sing to you in worship, give of our money as an act of worship, and ultimately to hear the preaching of the Word of God. God, we know that your Word is sharp like a two-edged sword. God, we ask that you would use your Word to help us discern our hearts tonight. God, would you encourage us through your word? Would you build us up? Would you challenge us? God, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're beginning a series on the I Am statements in the Gospel of John. <clears throat> so for those of you who are familiar with the Gospel of John, you may already know what these statements are. You may be familiar with them. Maybe you have them memorized. But if you're not familiar with the Gospel of John, maybe you're thinking, well, I have no idea what these I am statements are, and, and I don't really understand why they're significant. Why is, why is this more important than any other statements that Jesus makes? But what I want us to see is that when Jesus makes these I am statements in the Gospel of John, he's making very bold, exclusive claims about who he is, and even more so about who he is, what he does in the life of a believer, or how he provides, or how he saves. And so these are a big deal as we, as we read through them in the Gospel of John. And so I've listed them out. If you're not sure what they are, here, here's what they are. So from the beginning, in John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's one of the I am statements. In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he says, I am the door or the gate. Again, in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. So these are the seven I am statements that we're going to focus on. But what I want to do as a way of introducing these statements and, and helping us understand why they're significant and why they're important is understanding what the meaning of I am is. Because clearly the one thing that all these statements have in common is they begin with, I am. And for most of us who, who probably use that phrase on a daily basis, it doesn't really mean anything. We say, I am hungry, or I am tired, or I am headed out to work. And typically when we say that, it doesn't really mean much at all. But when we see in the context of John where this, this statement comes from, we, we automatically understand why it's so important. And that begins in Exodus chapter 3. So open with me to Exodus chapter 3, and, and we're going to read the same verses that we read as our call to worship, starting in verses 13 of Exodus chapter 3. So Moses said, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And they said, sorry, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, 
the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So now we see here in the gospel, sorry, in the book of Exodus, this is where the I am statement comes from. And this is where the I am gets its significance. So I've kind of laid out four questions to help us uh, get, get into the I am statements in the gospel of John. So the first question is, what is I am? The second question, why is I am a big deal or why is I am important? The third question, what's the big deal about Jesus claiming to be I am? And then the fourth question, what does Jesus being I am have to do with me? So as I approached this introduction to the, the I am statements in John's gospel, these are the four questions that I kind of asked myself. And I thought, well, if, if I'm coming here and, and I'm thinking of these four questions, then, then I think if, if we can answer these four questions together tonight, then that'll be a good introduction for the I am statements that are to come. So the first question, what is I am? Well, as we saw from the call to worship and as we saw as we, we just reread that passage, I am is more than just a, a phrase or a statement. I am is a name that God gives himself. So to give you a little bit of context, what's happening in this passage, at the end of Genesis, after Joseph dies, the Israelites who had moved to Egypt in order to survive the famine, they, they come under the rule of a new pharaoh, and this pharaoh says it does not, he does not remember Joseph. And so what he does is he enslaves the Israelites. And he says, man, we've got a lot of free labor. Let's put this to good use. And so he enslaves the Israelites, and they become slaves in Egypt. And sure enough, they, they fulfill the command to, to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply, and they do, and they become a great number of people. And so now we've got a huge nation of Israel which is enslaved in Israel, and God raises up Moses to be the leader who's going to lead the people of, of Israel out of Egypt and out of slavery. And so here, Moses is out in the wilderness, and God appears to him in a burning bush. Many of y'all are probably familiar with that, that imagery or that story, you've read that before, you're familiar with it. And so this is the account. And so God has come to Moses in the form of a burning bush, and he's telling Moses, I'm going to use you to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And you are going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And so Moses has got questions. Moses is like, well, wait a second, why me? I'm, I'm probably the least qualified guy for this job. You don't want me. Send somebody else. And so God, sure enough, says, no, no, you're going to be the one that goes. And so then Moses asked this question, which we, we probably think is a, a logical question. Well, okay, you're telling me, Moses, who's pretty much a nobody, that I'm going to go to the, the, the nation of Israel, this huge, large group of people, and say, hey, guess what, guys? I'm going to go to Pharaoh and tell him that he's going to let us go. They're going to think I'm crazy. Rightfully so. I think we all would think that as well. And so he asked God a question. And he says, well, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What am I going to say to them? So Moses is trying to think ahead. He's thinking, all right, I'm going to go to the Israelite people. I'm going to say, hey, guess what? I'm going to lead you out of, the, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And they're going to say, well, who told you to, that this is going to happen? And he says, the God of your fathers. And then what if they ask me, all right, well, what's his name? I gotta have something. So he asked God what his name is. 
And here's where we have the wonderful and amazing response by God himself. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then immediately after he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So God is telling Moses that his name is I am. You tell the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So now that we know that, that I am is, is a personal name that God gives himself, why is it important? Well, I think there's, there's two things that we need to understand about names in general. Typically, the way we use names is to identify somebody. So six months ago, when Graham was born, even before that, we knew what we were going to name him. Uh, but we had decided on Graham simply because we liked the name. Now, we know that the, the name, the meaning of Graham has something to do with like a wheat or, you know, something. So our intention was not that we want Graham to be a wheat farmer or whatever, whatever the meaning of the name Graham is. We, we, we simply chose the name Graham because we liked it. It was on Sam's list of names that she liked and thought sounded good, and so we went with Graham. And so usually we're thinking of Graham only as a way of identifying who he is. And so as Graham grows up and becomes a, a young adult and a teenager and, and all these different things, if he's a nice guy and he's caring and loving, when you all hear the name Graham... Those of you who know him will, will think of those, those things, to think of characteristics about him. And in the same way, if he's a bad kid and always causing trouble and always, you know, causing strife, when you hear the name Graham, you're going to think of those types of things. And so a name is a way to identify somebody as, as who they are, what they're like. So name can be identity. But also, a name can be descriptive. A name can describe somebody. And that's what we see more so in the Bible than just name used for identity. We typically use names just for identity. But look at, look at some examples in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam names his wife. Eve did not have a name when she was first created. So Adam names his wife. Genesis 3 chapter, uh, chapter 3 verse 20 says he names her Eve because she's the mother of all living. The name Eve itself means living. And so Adam is naming his wife as a description of her who's going to be the mother of all living. So he's using her name not only as a way to identify her, this is Eve, my wife, but he's also using it as a description. This is who she is. She's someone who's bringing forth life. And then if we look over to uh, Genesis chapter 17, we see Abram. Most people forget that his name was Abram to begin with. We always think of him as Abraham. But his name was Abram to begin with, and God changes his name to Abraham. Now, Abram means blessed father. Abraham means father of a multitude. God changed Abram's name to be a description of what he was going to accomplish or what was going to be true of his life. And so although Abraham is, yes, that's a way of we identify who you're talking about, Abraham is also a description of the kind of person that Abraham is going to be. And then again, and if we look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, where the angel comes to Joseph and says, Mary, your betrothed wife, is, is going to bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
the angel says Jesus is going to have a certain name because this is going to be a description of what he's going to accomplish. It's not just an identifier. It's not just you're going to recognize, oh, this is Jesus, the wife or the, the son of the woman who was not yet married, not yet consummated. No, no, no. His name is going to be a description of what he will accomplish. And what we see here in, in God giving us this, his name as I am is he's not only giving us an identifier of, of himself and who he is, but he's also describing himself. And so the second question, why is I am as God's name important? Well, I think it tells us a bunch of, of things about him, about his nature, about who he is. But there's three that I want to highlight Philip Ryken, who, who wrote a, a commentary on the book of Exodus, highlights these three as, as major things that I am reveals to us about who God is. The first one is that God is mysterious. I am, in and of itself, doesn't really seem to tell us a whole lot about God. It doesn't really seem to tell us about how he interacts with people or if he's kind or generous. It just it seems very obscure. And one of the things he says is, the fact that this I am is how he names himself is evidence that God is mysterious. There are ways in which we cannot fully understand who he is or what he is like. We, in our finite minds, cannot fully wrap our understanding around God and around his character, around his nature. There are a lot of things about God that we just have to admit we cannot fully grasp. I'm sure all of you have, have thought that at some point as you're reading through the Bible and we read something about what God does or, or maybe you're just thinking about the way that you've seen God act in people's lives or we think about the Kirk family and how so many close loved ones to Diane Kirk and the rest of the family have, have died in such a short period of time and sometimes we wonder why God would allow such things to happen. And we can't fully wrap our minds around why he would do the things that he does. And part of that is because God is mysterious. God is so much higher than we are that we can't fully understand him. We can't fully understand his ways. And so there's a mystery about who God is. But second, the name I am also tells us that God is eternal and unchanging. He says that the phrase I am is in the present tense. It has no connotation of any kind of past tense. It says God has no past. God has no future. He just eternally, presently exists. God is eternal. He's not limited by time as you and I are. We all know that there comes a time when babies are born and there comes a time when everyone will die. We're limited by time. God is not. God is eternal. There was no beginning to him. Nobody started him. Nobody hit the start button and, the, oh, here's God. He has always existed. He will never end. There is no expiration date. There is no time where his reign will come to an end. He just eternally exists in the present. I am. But also, he is unchanging. He says, I am who I am. It's not, I was who I used to be, and now I am who I'm changing into. He says, I am who I am. There was no difference in me way back in eternity past. There will be no difference in me in eternity future. I am who I am. There is no change. 
God has always been who he is and who he will be. Nothing causes God to change. Nothing causes him to change his mind. Nothing causes him to rethink the way he does things. Nothing. God is eternal and God is unchanging. Third thing that we can notice from the name I am is that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. We notice this at the beginning of the chapter. Look with me at verses 1 and 2 of uh, Exodus 3. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. In this flame, this burning bush, we see a picture of God's self-existence. So we all probably understand from science class that a fire requires three, three elements for it to, to burn. All right, We need heat, we need oxygen, and we need fuel. If one of those three are missing, then you don't have a fire. Those three, all three, have to be present. But as we read this account of the burning bush, it says in, in verse 2, Behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. We are kind of moving into the fall, which is my favorite time of year. You've got the baseball playoffs, which are the best. You've got the football season starting, which is also good. You've got my birthday, which is just like even better. You've got Thanksgiving. And then best of all, you've got colder weather. I know some of y'all are going to hate me for that, but I love it when it gets cold. And one of my favorite things to do when it gets cold is to sit around a campfire. Get some friends together, let's get some s'mores, and, and let's just enjoy a campfire as it starts to get dark and that, and that perfect weather where you just got a sweatshirt on. It's ideal. I love it. And every year, whenever I want to have a bonfire, the, the problem always is, you got any wood to burn? No. You got any? No. Guess we got to stop by the gas station and buy the stuff in the, in the bag. Makes you feel like such a wimp. But that's, that's the issue is that when, if you want to have a fire, you have to have something that's going to be consumed as the fire burns. But what's unique in this passage is that the fire is burning, but yet the bush is not being consumed. The fire is self-existent. It is not reliant on something, some source of ignition. The fire just burns. And in, such, and in the same way, that, that's how God exists. He is not dependent on anyone or anything for his existence. Nobody needs to feed God. Nobody needs to put him to sleep. Nobody needs to provide anything for him. He just simply exists by himself. So these three main things are, are huge things that the name I am conveys to us. So then my third question is, why is it a big deal that Jesus claims to be I am? So why is it such a big deal? So now let's turn over to the Gospel of John and let's look at why this is such a big deal. We're going to be in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to pick up in verse 48. 
and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. So follow along with me. It says, And the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If, if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar, like you. But I, do, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So now this is an example in John's gospel where Jesus uses this term, I am, outside of the I am statements. And what we see is that he's talking about Abraham was looking forward to my day, saying the Old Testament, Abraham and all the prophets, they were looking for the Messiah that God was going to send. And, and he's, he's openly saying, that's me. I am the Messiah that God promised. That's why he says Abraham was looking for my day. They don't believe him. They say, so you say if we keep your word, then we'll never taste death. But yet Abraham died. All the prophets died. So you're saying that you're better than them. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now here's why this is significant. I am is who God revealed himself to Moses as his name. That's who he was. That's who he is. So when Jesus says, I am, Jesus is saying, you remember the I am when God revealed him, his name to Moses? He said, I am the self-existent. I am the eternal and unchanging God. Jesus is saying, yeah, that's me. I am the God of Exodus. I am the God who delivered your fathers from Egypt in slavery. That's a big deal. Jesus, the God-man, who is a man just like you and just like me. He's got a human nature just like you and just like me. He is walking around on the earth just like you and just like me. He's having conversations with the Jews just like you or just like me would. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And I notice that the Jews realize this is a big deal. Because look at verse 59. So they pick up stones to throw at him. The Jews are ready to stone him because they know exactly what Jesus is saying. They know exactly what he means when he says, I am. They know that I am is most holy God. It is the God who created the universe. It is the God who delivered their fathers from, from uh, slavery in Egypt. They know full well who I am is. And now Jesus says, 
that's me. I am before Abraham ever existed. Now notice, if, if Jesus wanted to say that simply he existed before Abraham did, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. But he didn't choose to say that. Because God is revealing himself for who he truly is. The God of the universe. Jesus is revealing himself as the God of the universe. This is not the only time in John's gospel that he does it. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. John chapter 10, verse 38, he says, The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. John chapter 14, verse 11, he says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But yet when Jesus claims the name of the God of the universe, they flip out. Now, in those other situations, they responded in disbelief. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe that God, that Jesus and the Father are one. They did not believe that God was in the Father, Jesus and Jesus was in the Father. They responded by disbelief. But when Jesus claims the name of the Almighty, the I Am, they freak out. And they pick up stones because Leviticus 24 commands that those who are blaspheming against the name of God should be stoned. They fully believe that Jesus is an imposter, that he is taking the name of the Lord in vain, and they are ready to stone him. So now here is why it's important that Jesus is I am. I want to I introduce you to a, a theological term. Uh, I think a lot of times when we use big theological words, it can be a little bit scary or a little bit intimidating. But I want you all to know that this is, this is a, a theological term, but it's not, it's not big. It's not uh, too hard to understand. It's called the hypostatic union. If you've got a pen, you can jot that down. The hypostatic union. Now, all that is, hypostatic simply means personal. And union just means things that are, that are brought together. So the hypostatic union is the bringing together of a divine nature and a human nature in the person of Jesus. So now think about this. Understanding the meaning of, of what the hypostatic union is, it means that God is, or Jesus is fully God while at the same time being fully man. Now we can understand that term. That term, hypostatic union, is not that hard to understand, but trying to wrap our minds around how it works... That is proof that God is mysterious. I don't know if you've ever thought about how in the world Jesus can be fully God, yet fully man. How does that work? We have no category for something like that. But here's why it's significant, is because this is the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus is I am. He is the God of the universe. He is the God who was involved in the creation. He is the God who was present at the burning bush and, and told Moses that he was going to lead his people out of Israel. He is the God who provided for his people in the wilderness with manna, and he led them. But yet he's also fully human. He has a nature just like ours. What's, what's hard to comprehend about this is we tend to think 100% means that it's, it's totally full. So if you've got 100% of your glass filled with drink, you can, you can put nothing else in it. 
If I filled up my little cup with orange juice to 100%, that means nothing left can go in. And so when we think about Jesus being 100% God, but yet 100% man, we just, we can't understand what that means or what that looks like. But here's why it's important. It's important because if Jesus is not fully God, he cannot survive the wrath of God. Think about when Jesus goes to the cross and dies for our sins. What happens as Jesus is on the cross is God pours out his wrath for all of our sin onto Jesus. And if Jesus is not fully God, he cannot survive that. But the other reason that's so important is because if Jesus is not fully human, then he's not qualified to stand in our place. If Jesus is not fully 100% man, then he's not qualified to take your place and my place for our sins. This is why Jesus being I am is essential. It's true. Jesus is not just saying I am to make people mad. Jesus is saying I am so that you and I would know that he is the God of the universe. He and God are one. I am in the Father, the Father is in me. So our last question, what does Jesus being I am have to do with me? Kind of like I just said, if Jesus is not I am, he's unfit to be our sacrifice for sin. If Jesus is not perfect, if Jesus is not divine, then he cannot survive the wrath of God. If Jesus is not the I am, then you and I are dead in our sins. If Jesus is not the I am, then we are wasting our time here tonight. But we have proof that Jesus is the I am. We have evidence that he truly is who he says he is. And it's not just that he died on the cross for our sins, but the evidence for us and the truth for us is not only that he died, but that he rose again. That is the true evidence that not only does he lay his life down, but when, when the time comes, he picks it back up. And Jesus has victory over death. And so as we look at these I am statements that, that John uh, gives us in his gospel, we begin to understand that this is reinforcing who he is, that Jesus truly is God. But it also helps us understand what that means for you and for me, that Jesus is the bread of life. Well, it starts with the fact that, that Jesus is fully God. He's not just someone who is real close with God. He's not just someone who has a good relationship with God. He is himself the God of the universe. And so really, the application for you and for me comes in understanding the other I am statements. What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? What does it mean that he is the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the vine? Well, I don't want to give you the answers to all those because then there wouldn't be a point to having all these other sermons. But here's what we need to know tonight. We need to know that I am is God's very personal name. And we also need to know that Jesus is the God-man who, while still being 100% man, is 100% God. 
And when he stands in our place, he is qualified to be our substitute, but he's also fully God, so he can take the wrath of God and survive. So I'm excited as we jump into these I am statements to understand and to unpack the significance for all of us and and what it means for our daily lives that Jesus is all these different things. Let's pray and we'll, we'll be done. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the I am. We thank you that he is fully God and fully man. We thank you that he stands in our place at Calvary. We thank you that he took on the wrath of God and died. But not only that, but that he walked out of the grave three days later with victory over death so that we who believe can be raised in newness of life. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.